Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And you know what? I've got a really, really, really intriguing, fascinating, so, so different type of episode for you today. And it's with the the lovely lady, Laurie Booth. So welcome to this episode, Laurie Booth. Thank you for having me, Lynn. And Laurie is a sex educator and coach, but what she specifically niches in is the area of um, safe practices when it comes to BDSM. So yeah, so this is going to be a very interesting conversation, Laurie. So from a point of view of assisting listeners, what does BDSM stand for? And and can you explain in layman's terms, if if people haven't actually heard of that term before, what what it actually is? Right. BDSM, I think, is a a great umbrella term for all of the things that we don't understand or uh, the kinky, odd bits of sexuality that aren't for mainstream procreation. Uh, BDSM itself is an acronym that has some controversy as to what does it actually mean. Uh, Some people say it means bondage, sadomasochism, dominance and submission. Those aspects relatively apply to what BDSM means, but BDSM itself doesn't have (laughs) a a specific meaning um, other than it just, it's an umbrella term for all of those interesting sexual kinky things that uh, aren't vanilla sex. Yeah, and uh, I suppose what's interesting for me is that, you know, although I don't necessarily, uh, for me personally, want to get into being uh, the person that inflicts pain or receives any pain, (laughs) you know, but what I think is interesting is that it doesn't necessarily have to involve that. And even regards, you know, what what most people might think of as being, I suppose, very mild fantasies have sometimes a problem sharing what those might be with their partners, don't they? Yes. And I'd like to point out that I don't think that anybody is into pain so much. <laughs> we think about it that way, like, oh, I would never want to inflict pain on someone. Uh, I, 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 I don't, I'm not into pain, but in my experience, no one in BDSM is really into pain. They're into intense sensations and intense sensations are more intense for some people than they are for other people. And the example I like to give is my brother-in-law used to hate having his back scratched and ha- I imagine that most of our listeners here love having their back scratched. I mean, I scratch your back, you scratch mine is an idiom. And yet he disliked it. It was painful for him. And so what if we all lived in a world where we were like my brother-in-law, where we felt that scratching your back was painful, except for those few weird people who enjoyed it. Well, I don't enjoy pain. That's why, why do you enjoy something that's painful? Well, they don't. They enjoy something that's pleasurable. And so for people that enjoy what we consider pain, maybe, is just intense sensation for them that actually elicits pleasure. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, it's a great way to put it across and reframe it. So, Laurie, how did you sort of, I suppose, um, what's, tell, tell the audience a little bit about you and what sort of led you to be doing what you're doing. 
Right. So in college, uh, where it rightly should be happening, where you're out and about and you're starting to evolve as a person and, and, and out of the house, out of away from your family, exploring the life and the world, uh, I started finding these little dark recesses that people were afraid to talk about, afraid to go into, afraid to explore. And I, as an adventurous person, thought this is this is fascinating. Why are you afraid to go here? I want to go here. I want to learn more. I want to explore what this is. And as I started exploring a little bit at a time, what is what are, what are these alternative lifestyles or, or alternative interests? I started kind of becoming an expert at it because I was the only one who was brave enough to venture forth and explore it. And, and when you become a little bit of an expert in a field that's relatively unknown, you become the go-to expert for everybody who <laughs> wants to know more about this. And so as I became sort of just a minor expert at it, I became more and more of an expert at it because I had more and more people coming to me, giving me resources, saying, let's go to this club that I heard about. Let's go to the sex toy store and ask them questions. Um, and in college, I actually, I did uh, end up going to a sex toy store that had a uh, help on its sign in the front. And I thought, all my other friends are waitresses <laughs> in college. I want to do something interesting here. I, I can learn more if I actually become an employee of this place. So I, I took employment at a sex toy store. It was a very nice upscale one. Um, and so I sold dildos to middle-aged, middle-class women in elite neighborhoods um, and taught them about their bodies, told them where their clitoris was, um, talked to, talk to them about their G-spot and their vaginas. And the bookstore had lots of reference books as well. So I, I just, during my off time, I would read all of the books that we sold. And so that gave me even more information. And that's how I start, got my start into alternative forms of sexuality and, and learning about them. Wow, interesting, very interesting. So, when it comes to sex and sexual practices, how do you help people, I suppose, especially, you know, if you've got somebody that's probably had past experience in, you know, um, indulging in fantasies, let's say, and, and then they've got a partner that hasn't had any sort of experience around those mm -hmm. from what I consider maybe mild fantasies and sort of soft kinky things to the, you know, more extreme stuff. How, how do you help couples sort of bridge that gap? I think one of the things that first has to be bridged is the fear that we often have behind it. So people that are in BDSM and people that haven't ever heard about it and aren't maybe not interested in it, both of them have this shame and fear that's informing their decisions about what it is that's going on, what's engaging in this. Um, for, for a partner who's not into it, they could be identifying with BDSM as being a thing they don't know what is. They don't want to identify as being that kind of person who does that because they have a belief in their background, in their upbringing that says, if you are into this, then you are this kind of person, which is you are, um, weird, irresponsible, uh, creepy, uh, whatever it is, these beliefs that we might hold that make us think, well, I don't want to be that. I, I'm not that kind of person. Therefore, I can't be interested in that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and it was interesting when I did work at the sex toy store in college, uh, I, had, I had people coming up to me saying, you just seem like such a nice person. Why are you working here? And I thought, <laughs> what, why can't a nice person work here? What, what's wrong with a nice person? 
being informed about their body and the way that their body functions and enjoying the the fruits of life that are offered to us. Um, and I think that that's kind of some of that disconnect that often partners experience when they're trying to approach something with their partner, uh, with a partner that doesn't understand or know what's going on is that shame and fear. They're coming up against that because they say, I'm not a bad person. Bad people do weird kinky stuff and I'm not that. So if we can uh, get to the root of why do you think that you're that way? Did you have a, a bad experience as a child that someone said, oh, sex is wrong and bad. Don't touch yourself. Um, you're going to go to hell for touching yourself. Uh, don't ever touch yourself down there. Um, whatever it is. Um, if we can get to the root of whatever that belief is and find it and then rewrite that belief um, in the person's background, in their, in their subconscious, then we can often get over that fear so that they don't identify with being something that they don't want to be. Because that can relate to, as I said, you know, um, to, to, to what most, I suppose, the, of the population would consider quite tame, you know, even like you say, around masturbation being an issue and a problem to right. admitting to, can't it? Yes, yes. So if, if people have a comfort with their own bodies, then they're going to have more of a comfort exploring outside of their own bodies. So if something has informed them that it's wrong for you to touch yourself, it's wrong for you to feel pleasure, you're a bad person for doing this because of something in their upbringing, then they're going to have a problem um, surrendering and exploring. And that's one of the the issues that I find when people come to me who can't have orgasm, which is a, a large percentage of the population who can't or has never, there's lots of women who have never had orgasm. And it often comes down to they're not, they're not comfortable surrendering to that expression of their beingness or that expression of self-identity. Um, so what I do is I, I, talk to them going back and see what was the messaging that you were given that said you can't do this and you have to suppress it when we can rewrite that message then they can come out of that that limited belief and and surrender to the experience and often that's when the orgasm then starts to flow and sometimes that like you say can be around shame um from education or you know whether that's religious or parental education or it can also come about on the back of, you know, past experiences or trauma or abuse, can't it? Oh, yeah. So not just do our childhood experiences inform our decisions and our actions, but things that happened as adults do. So uh, you have a bad uh, relationship, you have a bad breakup, you had a bad experience in college with a boyfriend or a boyfriend's friend or someone at a party that did something that was uncomfortable, and it creates a fear block and a fear shame um, or a shame block, fear block and a shame block inside of you. Um, and these blocks are there, they're, they're set. Evolution has created a system by which we, we create beliefs in our subconscious to protect us and inform us so that we know how to proceed in our culture and we do so with safety. However, some of these blockages are just not helpful and they start being a limiter based on a small amount of information rather than the larger amount of information that actually it, it, is is a part of the whole being of a person. Um, so 
uh, one of those shame blocks might be, okay, in college, I had a bad experience. Um, I felt uncomfortable. I felt unsafe. And we create a block that says, well, I'm never going to do that again. Um, I'm not a bad person. I can't do those kind of things. Um, if, if someone found out that I had done that, that I would be teased and ridiculed or shamed or something like that. And when we can locate where that belief is, it's often in the form of a picture in our heads and we can replace that image with a, an image of more information. So this image might be, I'm, I'm stupid for having done that. I should never have done that. Therefore, I'm stupid. And instead, we take out the, the image of I am stupid and we actually take that out, like we imagine doing this, imagine removing it as though it is a, a bowling ball in your gut, or it's a weight on your shoulders, or whatever it is that the person identifies with, um, I am stupid being in their beingness. Um, and we replace it with, I've learned something, I'm capable of learning. Um, uh, and things that they've know and have learned as adults, we can take as references to the fact that they're capable of learning. So maybe they've gotten a, a, a college education. So they graduated, um, they run a business so that they, they know that they're intelligent. We take all of that information and we put that in the place of I am stupid. So you literally take out, I am stupid and you put in, I'm smart. I'm capable of learning. I now have information that I can go on it's good that I had this experience because now I have more information and I can better inform other people going forward. I can be a better parent going forward. Um, and so it's literally taking the old belief out and putting these new known beliefs in. Yeah, more that, empowering. That really informs people going forward. They live from that place then. And, and it's very helpful for them in their current present lives as adults. So it's, it serves the life better to, you know, embrace, you know, more positive, more effective, empowering belief, doesn't it? So Yeah, but Laura, I do want to make a point yeah. that this is not affirmations. Right. Uh, and I need to make that important because affirmations, when we just put them on top of old belief systems, aren't effective. It's like um, my mentor says, it's like putting whipped cream over garbage. The garbage still exists. The old belief system still exists, but we're putting pretty colored, you know, lipstick on a pig on top of it. So we need to get down to the belief, not just say, no, I'm a smart person because the old belief is still under. I'm, uh, I'm a smart person that says I'm a stupid person and I have evidence because I did this thing in college. So we go back to the belief and rework it from the ground up. Brilliant. Love it. It's, it's similar to what I, I do with my, 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 my funds and, and clients too. So that's brilliant. So Laurie, um, can you give us a, an example of um, maybe a case study or, you know, your own experience or a, a client's experience, obviously not mentioning any names because of confidentiality of, of um, you know, what might be a typical scenario of com what comes up as regards barriers and um, shame and or anything else that might get in the way of people wanting to embrace a more fulfilling sex life. Mm -hmm. So let's see, what would be a good example? I can think of several, but what would be a good one for your listeners? Um, I know we went over uh, women masturbating uh, and not being able to achieve orgasm through masturbation. That's, that's an important one that I address and work with. Uh, I work with um, 
adult baby diaper lovers. So it's called ABDL, people that find comfort through putting on a diaper and reverting into a, an identity that is more of a carefree one where they can give up their adult responsibilities and enjoy being a, a, a baby or an infant or a toddler. Um, those can be sexualized. They're often lumped into BDSM, but I, I wouldn't necessarily classify them as BDSM because they're they're only rarely sexualized. Like we, we sexualize everything in our culture, right? We sexualize food, you know, strawberries and chocolate and drizzling honey on our bodies. Um, and food isn't sexual, but we'll sexualize it. Yes. Um, and, and so we sexualize everything. So, so you, you, this, the adult babies aren't necessarily sexual in the way that they engage in being adult babies. However, because they are adults, they will sexualize it um, when it satisfies their needs. Um, but there's a lot of shame around that because it seems like something that's, uh, that's, that's, that's definitely not something you see in mainstream culture. Um, ABDL is way more common than we think it is. Um, and it does serve a purpose for the human being, which is uh, being able to go back to that time when things weren't as complicated as it is in our adult lives. And we all do that, right? We drink a beer at the end of Friday. Uh, we go get drunk with our buddies because it's hard to be an adult throughout the week. Um, we smoke some pot because it's hard to be an adult all the time. Um, we go to amusement parks and we enjoy uh, rock climbing and getting that adrenaline and so forth because we can just let it go. We can go to a party and let it go. We can go to a music festival and let it go because it's hard to be an adult all the time. Uh, and, and ABDLs do it in the way where I'm going to put on my diaper and my onesie and I'm going to eat cereal and I'm going to watch cartoons. And that's how <laughs> they decompress because it's hard to be an adult all the time. Um, but somehow it's been stigmatized and, and, and oddly so. I don't, I don't really understand why it's stigmatized. It seems like a cool thing. If, if that's how you can de-stress, um, it doesn't hurt your liver. Um, it's just not illegal. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Like this seems like a great way to, to decompress from having been an adult. However, it is often stigmatized. Um, so, uh, so again, it's, it's, so with something of this nature, um, what I do is I don't necessarily, I, I'm not going to try to fix the problem because there's no problem in my, in my head. Nothing is wrong. What's wrong is the shame that somehow is applied to the de-stressor that they've chosen to use. Um, so those often come at a time later in life where um, they recognize as a, as an adult or as a 13 year old, or even as um, a, a five year old having come out of diapers that my parents want me out of diapers. I'm not supposed to be wanting diapers. It's wrong for me to want to go back into diapers. And, and so we find wherever that messaging and programming is, and we again, update it. So who was it that gave you that message? Either we need to go back to that time in your life when you were five and your mom said, oh, you're a big boy. You don't need diapers. You shouldn't want diapers anymore. And we give her that message back. So we literally like, where is it in your body? You don't need that. That's not your message. 
give that message back to her. That's her message from her programming, from her childhood and her upbringing. And she thinks that she's doing what she should be doing as a parent. So no shame on her either, but we're going to give that message back to her. And that seems to be an effective way of helping people who uh, have a, a shame regarding something that this, that's not shameful. Um, and also I'll do uh, anchoring methods with ABDL. So there might be times when you have to, you want your de-stressor, but you can't access it, right? You're, uh, you're at the beach with your in-laws and you really just can't go put on a diaper and watch cartoons right now. That's not accessible. So I'll do anchoring techniques where I take the sensation of that joy and that freedom and that relaxation and that yummy feeling of, of surrender. And I'll anchor it to say like they're the rubbing their thumb and finger together. So let's take that sensation and we're going to anchor it to a different um, feeling within your body that's not the diaper uh, so that you can access it at times that it's inconvenient <laughs> to put on the diaper. And then there's just educating the partner saying, hey, this is how this person de-stresses uh, and, and, and removing their shame surrounding a, a, a de-stressor for this person that's, that's totally not harmful. And then how do they cope with it? How does the the, the mate um, approach their friends if it's if it's somehow broached in some way or, or or their parents find out or something like that how do we help the uh, people surrounding the adult baby diaper lover to um, to readdress their shame you know and I hadn't thought about that before but, but when you say you compare it to other people who you know do de-stress by um, doing harmful things like you know getting drunk and drugs and gambling and things like that right. you know that is harmful to your relationship and it's harmful to you you know taken to excess and um, like you say in, in in an instance whereby you've got somebody that just wants to I suppose role play in a way of um, de-stressing by wearing well we call them nappies in the UK but diapers right. <laughs> in, in America uh, like you say there's there's probably one of the that's probably one of the least harm, <laughs> harmful yes. ways that yes. you could probably, you know, engage exactly. if that's what does it for you. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to clarify for listeners that it that it has nothing to do with actual children. These are all adults practicing something that they remember from their childhood that makes them re remember how it felt to be able to surrender and not have responsibility. And it has nothing to do with actually engaging with minors. No, of course not. No, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we don't want people to think that it's, it's anything to do with uh, anything harmful regarding an interest in children. That's, that's a very good and very valid point. So thank you for bringing that up, Laurie. So from a point of view of um, educating listeners about, um, I suppose, how they can broach, you know, e even something you know, as I say, from the mild end of the spectrum, that, that might not be anything that you'd consider <laughs> seriously uh, kinky on the, on the spectrum. How do we approach the subject with partners about what our fantasies are and that what, what would excite us or what we might be interested in with partners? That's a that's a question that comes to me a lot. And people uh, call me and have consultations with me. How do I how do I go about doing this? Uh, 
I think the first thing that needs to be done is making sure that you yourself have no shame surrounding your fetish or your kink or your alternative interest or whatever it is, um, because you are then going to inform the relationship with your with the projection of that shame and a projection of that fear. Um, and you're just going to receive back from a partner what you send out to a partner. So so if I can help people to find where those shames lay, what the beliefs are that are, are informing those shames, address those beliefs so that we rewrite them so that you're coming out of a place of, of less shame, uh, then you can be an amazing partner for a person. People are always afraid of being judged. So, so I'm not just talking about the person that has a, a kink. I'm talking about the partner of the person that has the kink. The partner of the person that has the kink is afraid of being judged and they have their own kinks, even if they're not sexual BDSM kinks, they have their own proclivities, their own um, oddities. And have they ever been accepted for who they are? So if you, if you can be an amazing partner accepting them, you, you know what it feels like to have that, that element of having been shamed for something that's, that's not harmful, that's not harming anyone. Um, they've, they've had that same experience. Your partner's had that same experience. And, and so to be able to partner with someone who doesn't judge you <laughs> is is extremely valuable and that starts from not having your own shame and your own judgments so when we can reduce those address those um, take care of those then you become a magnet for people that that feel comfortable with you because you're not judging them um, and and then you can help them with their shame and judgment issues um, sometimes it does take talking to someone who can find those belief systems at the root of the partner. So the partner who says, no, I, I can't be with someone who's into BDSM because what if someone found out? Um, what if the neighbors found out? That would be a problem for me. I, I, I would be ashamed of it. Okay, well, there's a shame. Why do you have that shame? What's informing that belief? What makes you think that there's something wrong with you because that's in your life? Because that's, a, that's, because that's something that your partner enjoys. If your partner enjoys going bowling, do you feel ashamed of that? Do you think, oh, what if the neighbors found out? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, is it, what is it within you that has informed you that this is something to be ashamed of? Is it because you have your own shames and judgments? And now we can, we can find those and address those and, and, and make you a, a super mega partnership, a, a superpower couple, because now both of you have addressed shame issues inside of yourselves. You can see each other. You can accept each other without the judgment and the shame. And then you can raise a family of children that aren't, aren't subjected to having judgment and shame because this, this perpetuates onto the next generation. Generation, those people that say, oh, I, 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 I have this thing in the closet and it's got to stay there and it's something horrible. They, they then start parenting from a place of judgment and shame. There's horrible things that you've got to keep secret that you can never tell anyone about you, about yourself, about your body, about it, the way it works, about its functions, about your desires, about your interests. You've got to keep those quiet. And, and, then, and then we've got another generation of, of children that grow up to be the adults who are then the parents who 
who projected that shame onto the third generation and on and on it goes. So stopping that with the parents is the first step. And then, and then hopefully the children aren't raised in a culture of shame so that they're not perpetuating it onto the grandkids. Yeah. So, you know, it's all about, like you say, not repeating the cycle, but breaking the cycle of um, being judgmental and, and shamed about things. So when you speak to couples or, or a, a person that wants to, you know, um, broach the subject with a partner that, that they're worried about, you know, their judgment on them about sharing something that they want to um, do regarding their own fantasy around a sexual experience. What, what do you advise that partner to do as a, as a first sort of conversation opener question right. to their partner? Uh Education, I think, is the first step. So learn about the thing that you and your partner are interested in. Find out more about the details of it. Um, there are, there's just, the internet is rife with information, um, experiences, blog posts, people's stories. Um, you can chat with people who have these interests and find out, oh, this, this person with this alternative sexual interest is a firefighter who rescues lives um, and is a, pays his taxes. And, you know, <laughs> there, we're, we're all normal people uh, and we're, we're all different, very different. So um, educating yourself about other people that also enjoy this interest can make it feel like it's less of a an oddity or in the closet. Um, also risking telling people. So one of the things that I give those who are looking to find a, a mate or uh, they want to date someone, they're single, they have this alternative interest. How do I find someone? I say practice telling people. So get onto a social media platform, um, get onto one of those dating websites and find someone who you don't think this is going to be my soulmate, but someone you think uh, I can risk telling this person and, and practice just telling the person. I would advise that to the mate, to the spouse of someone who is into BDSM, risk telling someone, create a profile somewhere and start just being out. You're out, but you're safe, right? There's not, there's, your neighbors aren't in your house. These aren't <laughs> people that you'll ever meet. But, but they are people who are going to have their own responses to things and practice starting to tell people. Because what I found out being open myself about my practices, what I do, what my work is, um, I, I tell my friends, my family, my neighbors, everyone knows. And, and, and they, they feel comfortable with me because they're like, oh, Lori doesn't judge me. I can tell her anything because she's out there with it. Um, but when I started finding out when I would tell people what I did, is that they would open up and start telling me what they did. And they thought they were all alone and no one else knew. And they felt ashamed. I they think that's a great to, point. They were trying to act like normal, <clears throat> quote, normal people who <laughs> didn't do anything weird. And, and once I said, hey, this is what I do, they, they all of a sudden blossom and open up and they have a connection. They have someone they can talk to. And I'm, I'm certain that if a partner goes out and starts talking to people saying, hey, this is what my husband is into, or my wife is into, they'll start getting people that come back and say, oh, yeah, my wife's also interested in that. Oh, yeah, I experimented with that in college. Oh, yeah, I just went to a play party recently. Um, and you'll find people that are also engaged in this, but were quiet because they were afraid. Yeah. 
I think you you, you uh, raised a good point. You know, it's creating that emotional safety, isn't it, for you, for yourself and for your partner to be able to discuss it. You know, um, and by you taking the lead in in opening a conversation and seeing where it goes, you you then, like you say, create that emotional safety for your partner to then open up and and maybe surprise you by saying, "Wow, you know what? Yeah." I, this is what I'm interested in too, or I've thought about that, but, you know, I never thought I'd be brave enough to speak about it with you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So interesting, <laughs> interesting around, um, you know, it, it creating that emotional safety, I think is very important between partners and, and taking the lead sometimes in, and being brave enough to talk about it. if you've been, especially if you've been in a, a relationship for a while, you know, I think you can usually judge your partner pretty well mm-hmm. to know enough about saying, well, you know, this is what I, I'm interested in. And if that's not for you, then I totally understand, but you don't necessarily, um, need to, like you say, be ashamed, ashamed about broaching the subject. Right. Yeah. Especially if you can break the shame spiral with the other person who was also afraid. Um, fearlessness, I feel, breeds fearlessness back and shamelessness breeds shamelessness back. So if, if we can address those own senses of shame and judgmentalness and fear in ourselves, uh, then, then we can give people a space to be the same in return. Excellent. Really love this conversation, Laurie. It's been really fascinating and and totally different for the listeners to hear something a bit off the cuff and a bit more taboo (laughs) within the episode. So thank you so much for educating us a bit more around, you know, something that's, as I say, is, is not the, the, within what we consider to be the norms although it probably is more the norm than what we realize yes it is like there's there are very few people who are vanilla and that's it most of everyone else is into a kink or an alternative sexuality in some facet and there's more of them than there are just the straight strict vanilla mainstream missionary position <laughs> yeah I, I I'm with you I understand and I you know I, I absolutely 100% agree so on that note Laurie you know if, if people are listening and they were are interested in being educated more around um, sex and uh, specifically the BDSM community and uh, being able to let go of any shame or humiliation around any kinks or fantasies what would be your best um, contact for them to get hold of you? The hub contact for me would be lauriebooth.com. That's L-O-R-I, Lori, L-O-R-I, booth.com. And if you go to that uh, hub website, you'll find links to uh, my more uh, clinical work that I do. You'll find the podcast that I have for Genuine Human Connection, which is a podcast I run to explore what is genuine human connection between people. Um, And you'll also find a list of the books that I've written. So it's all there on that particular hub website, lauriebooth.com, L-O-R-I-B-O-O-T-H.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that, Laurie. And I'll make sure that is also put in our show notes as well as any other information and social media platforms that uh, Laurie shares with me after the show. So on that note, I just want to say thank you so much, Laurie, again, for being so open and uh, educating us all around this particular subject. 
and uh, wish you well with uh, educating the world on it going forward. Thank you, Lynn. It was lovely to be on your show. (laughs) So, listeners, it just leaves me to say that uh, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.